I want to start off today's topic with a short story. Josh sat in his living room excitedly opening up his birthday presents. He had already received a few new toys from his grandparents, but his parents told him that they had something special to give him. That he'd be able to use it to light up whatever he wanted, to make cool shapes on the walls and to play games in the backyard. So as he took his brand new flashlight out of the box, he excitedly flicked the switch to turn it on. But nothing happened. He flicked the switch off and back on again, but once again, nothing happened. So he pointed around the room and then ran outside to the backyard and pointed around out there as well, but nothing. And he thought sadly to himself, it must be broken. And as he walked back in and ate his birthday cake, he, he was just sad. He was broken. And that night he went to sleep with all his toys in his room, even his broken flashlight. And as he was falling asleep, his mom knocked loudly on the door. He opened it and quickly noticed that all the lights in the house were off. His mom asked if she could use his flashlight as there had been a power outage. So he took his flashlight and started explaining to her that it didn't actually work. As he flicked it on, though, the hallway was suddenly bathed in light. And as he moved around the house, the flashlight filled the dark house with a warm glow of illumination. His parents, noticing his confused expression, explained to him, Your light is powerful beyond measure. But in the presence of sunlight, your flame is subsumed. Only in the dark, when the light has faded, can your small flame shine bright and be seen for what it truly is. And this powerful message relates to a deep theme in this week's Parsha, Parsha's Dvarim, and really Sefer Dvarim as a whole. And to understand this, we have to understand the concept of a get, a Jewish divorce document, which is written according to a very specific format. One feature of its design is that a get has to be written across 12 lines. And Tosos, in the very beginning of Masechah's Gittin, Tractate Gittin, he asks, why is this so? Why does it have to be across 12 lines? And he first suggests that perhaps it's because the word get has the gematria, the numerical value, of 12. But then Tosos gives another answer, one that's more enigmatic and requires a lot of explanation. He says that there are 12 lines separating the five books of Hamishi Chumshe Torah within every Sefer Torah. So if you look at a Sefer Torah, it's broken up into five sections, five Sfarim, and each of those has four lines of separation between each of those books. So since a get is a document of separation, it therefore adopts this feature of separation, its requirement of 12 lines from the Sefer Torah as well. A Sefer Torah has 12 lines of separation, and therefore a Get has 12 lines of separation. And it's compelling because the Torah is the original document of the world, so it seems reasonable and logical to model the Get, which is a very fundamental halachic document, off of the foundational Torah document. So 
The document of separation, a get, has to have 12 lines corresponding to the 12 lines of separation in the Torah document. But there's a major obvious problem with this answer. What is it? Between each sefer in the Torah, there are four blank lines, but there are five books in the Torah. So that's a total of 16 lines. So why then are there 12 lines in a get, not 16? What's going on here? So Tosos already is addressing this when he explains that it's true, there are 16 lines, but what's his explanation? The lines between Sefer Bamidbar and Dvarim, the last four lines, those are not taken into account because Dvarim is not considered a Sefer of its own. It is purely a repeat of everything that has come before it. And this idea seems to have backing at first glance because in Latin, the, the word Deuteronomy comes from the Latin root, which means repeat. And we identify Sefer Dvarim as a repeat of everything that came before it. It's a unique Sefer amongst all the other Torah. In a certain sense, it even belongs to Moshe. Because the commentaries explain that Moshe spoke the words of Dvarim of his own volition, and these became words of Torah. So, while this may seem to really help us, because yes, we can now separate Sefer Dvarim from all the other Svarim, and we can say the last four lines are not the same, we need to really just open up a couple other questions, because number one, how can Moshe's words be included in the Torah? The fundamental nature of Torah is its divine authorship. Hashem spoke the words of Torah. What does this mean that Moshe spoke Dvarim? And returning to the, its connection to a get, why does Dvarim's status as a repeat sefer preclude its four lines of separation from being counted in determining, determining the number of lines in a divorce document? I mean, there are still four lines separating by Midbar and Dvarim. So why should this matter if Dvarim is a repeat? What's going on here? So in order to understand the deep nature of Sefer Dvarim and to answer these questions, we have to first develop an essential principle that underlies this entire discussion. And we're really going back to what we've been developing over really this entire series, but... We've discussed this idea many times of the fact that there are two unique stages in history and that there are many implications of this theory, this idea. But we can now take this topic one step further because we know that there are two stages of history, but we need to understand why. Why did this transition occur? So to briefly review the two stages, the first stage of history was from the creation of the world until around the events of Purim and Hanukkah. And this time represented a stage of open miracles, nevuahs, prophecy, and Hashem was openly revealed in the world. And the miracles of Yitzhiyas, Mitzrayim, and Ma'an Torah, they embody the essence of this first stage. The second stage, though, which began around the time of Purim, represents the transition to the hidden miracles and the end of prophecy. Hashem is no longer openly manifest and clearly visible in this world. And this is the theme deeply connected to Tishma, where we lost the Beis Hamikdash, our place of unique and incontrovertibly clear connection to Hashem. So in this stage, what's changed is that we have to choose to see Hashem. 
It's a stage where the world denies Hashem's involvement in this world, claiming that life is meaningless and disconnected from anything higher. We're just evolutionary accidents. I mean, our age is one of atheism and nihilism and subjected only to that which can be scientifically quantified using logic and technology and the five senses. And our challenge is to see past the surface, to witness the miraculous within the natural, the infinite within the finite the ethereal within the mundane. But in order to help us source things back to Hashem, to link this physical world to something higher, we talked about how Chazal instituted standardized tefillah and standardized brachos to be said throughout the day, the yearly cycle, and the various stages of one's life. Because without open revelation of Hashem's attachment to and involvement in this world, these frameworks help us maintain awareness of that connection. And the Amshek Knesset HaGdola recognized the importance of instituting these new structures in order to assist us in maintaining awareness of Hashem in this new reality, one of darkness, distance, and seeming disconnect from Hashem. However, we have yet to explain why this transition took place. Why did the nature of reality and the challenge of free will shift at this point in time? We talked about a lot of the repercussions, the implications, but we need to go back to the root and understand why this was happening. And this is such a powerful tool in life. Whenever something happens, the first thing you need to do is step outside yourself and think about what is the deep why behind this? Why did this happen? And Underlying the transition between these two stages of history is one of the most fundamental concepts in Judaism, a phenomenon we have introduced previously. The Arizal, Ramchal, Vilagon, and many other Jewish thinkers explain that there are three stages in every process. The first stage is the high, the inspiration and experience of perfection and clarity. But next comes the second stage, a complete fall, a loss of everything that was experienced in that first stage. But then there's the third stage, a return to the perfection of the first stage. However, this third stage is fundamentally different than the first because, yes, it's the same perfection, the same clarity, but this time, it's a perfection and clarity that you have earned. The first time it was given to you now, you have worked to build it for yourself. The first stage of history was a gift, the ideal. Hashem openly revealed himself to us. It was a time of nevuah and transcendence. No effort was required to find Hashem or to connect to that which is higher. At least nothing even close to what we find ourselves in now. We lost that ideal. Nevuah and Avodah were removed from the world and the base Hamikdash was destroyed a cloak of darkness fell over existence. We are now in that second stage, the one of rebuilding towards the original goal, towards a transcendent ideal. We no longer have open revelation. We no longer have prophecy and clarity. But it's precisely for that reason that we can choose to witness the truth and the depth of the world, to see Hashem in everything, to connect the divine in all that we do. Because in a darkened world, we are uniquely able to cast our own light. And accompanying this transition from the first stage to the second was another unique shift. 
one that has become the very lifeblood of the Jewish people. When the curtain fell over the first stage of history, Torah Shabal Peh was born. And we've talked about a lot of the transitions that have occurred, but I want to really delve deep into this transition to Torah Shabal Peh. The initial stage of Torah can be defined as that of Torah Shabiksav. Torah was transmitted through the mechanism of Nevuah, reflecting the open revelation of Hashem and the truth into this world. And there was little to no machlokas, no argument, and virtually no human creativity, opinion, or input. If you had a question, you went to a Navi, a prophet, and the Navi made himself a receptacle to receive and transmit Hashem's words verbatim. But once Nevuah ended, the canon of Tanakh was closed, and a new age began. An age where you don't have that same clarity. It's the age of Torah Shabal Peh. The light faded, the darkness thickened, but something magical happened. The makom, the place of Torah, transitioned from Shemayim, the heavens, to the hearts and minds of Klai Yisrael. Lo bashamayimhi. That's what the Torah says, but it's really manifest in the Gemara Bama where we talk about the clarity and authority of Torah's revelation is no longer in heavens. Given clearly and freely from Hashem, it rests in the hearts and minds of the Jewish sages, who become the walking, living embodiments of Torah, radiating light in a darkened world. The gift of Torah clarity was lost, and we now have to rebuild it ourselves, pouring over the pages of Gemara and exerting every ounce of our strength to absorb its meaning. The transition from Torah Shabbat to Torah Shabbat introduced a number of fundamental shifts in our relationship with Torah, and these include the introduction of machlokas, a mode of hearing as opposed to one of seeing, and the priority of a sage, a chacham, over a prophet. So I want to delve into each of these three topics in order to develop a deeper understanding of this evolution of Torah. And the first and most significant change is the nature of truth within this stage of history. In the age of Torah Shabbat the MS, the truth, was singular and one-dimensional. It was whole. It was holistic. There was no machlokas. There was no disagreement. But just as when white light is refracted through a prism, different shards of light manifest, the same occurred with the truth of Torah. The oneness of Torah truth is now expressed in multiplicity. The light has been shattered. Our job is to pick up the pieces and recreate that oneness. This is the deeper explanation of Elu Elu Divrei Elohim Chaim, the principle used to signify the truth within each opinion of the sages in the Talmud. When the holistic and higher truth breaks down into multiplicity, numerous smaller truths are manifest. And only by reconnecting all of these smaller truths back together can we recreate that higher truth. And this is why machlokas now exist. Each Talmud Chacham fights for the truth of his own unique perspective. And only from the unison of these smaller truths can the ultimate truth emanate. 
And this can actually be seen in the very evolution of Pirkei Avos itself. Pirkei Avos is a record of transmission between the sages of Klai Yisrael. And the first mission mentions the tradition which passed from Moshe to Yoshua to the Nevi'im of the following generations, concluding with the Anshei Knesset Hagdola. And within this Mesorah, this tradition, no Machlokes is mentioned. Only once we arrive in the post-Nevuah era does Machlokes begin. In the fourth Mishnah of Avos, the two dissenting opinions of Yossi ben Yoezer and Yossi ben Yochanan are mentioned. And the Maharal in Derechaim on that Mishnah identifies this as the very first documented Machlokas in the age of Tobar Shvalpeh, the age of creating oneness for multiplicity. Machlokas began in that age. But another characteristic of this shift from Torsha Baksav to Torsha Peh is a change from the spiritual mode of seeing to the spiritual mode of hearing. Torsha Baksav, the written Torah, is inherently linked to sight. On a straightforward level, it's a written text, and you have to read it with your eyes. But on a deeper level, sight represents that which is static. When one sees, they witness everything in their field of vision at once. There's no process. There's no development. And Torah was given to us as a complete book, closed and immutable. It doesn't change. You don't add to Torah Shebek Sav. It was given as prophecy. It doesn't evolve. Torah Shebek Sav has been closed. The canon has been closed. Nothing more can be added, and nothing more can be added to any one of the Svarim themselves. It's static. It's like sight. When you see everything in your field of vision is there at once. There's no process. Torah Shebek Peh, on the other hand, is associated with hearing. Toshma, come and hear. On the most basic level, it's an oral tradition. It's passed down from teacher to student, transmitted and received through speaking and hearing. And to take it a step deeper, the very nature of Torah Shabbat Pen mandates this mode of transmission. It has to be like this. And even though Chazal eventually committed the oral Torah to writing, they designed it in such a way that it still requires a Rabbi Talmud relationship. A person can't simply open a Gemara and learn it. A proper understanding requires breaking down the text, asking questions, fighting for alternate opinions, and ultimately, it requires the direction of a teacher. And this is the concept of hearing. It's process. When you hear something, you can't hear all the sounds at once. You have to hear one sound at a time and then put it all together. That's process. And Gemara learning, Torah Shabbat Pet, is that evolutionary process of learning. Learning becomes an evolution, something which requires a process of growing and adapting and constantly balancing one idea off of another. And the very process of learning Gemara reflects man's search for the truth, because searching for truth requires a constant process of breakdown and rebuilding. You have a theory, you break it down, you reject it, then you create a better and improved theory, then you repeat that. That's the process of Torah Shabal Peh, and learning Torah Shabal Peh is a mode of process. The body of Torah Shabal Peh is continuously growing and developing. The canon of Torah Shabal closed. The canon of Torah Shabal Peh is an everlasting, expanding, evolutionary process of growth. Every Jew has the ability to add chidushim and insights to the Mesorah of Torah Shabal Peh. It's incredible. 
I mean, Torah Shabbat Peh's connection to hearing is evident throughout. Torah Shabbat Peh itself begins with the word Shema. Listen. The first Mishnah of Brachos begins with the word Shema. And furthermore, this Mishnah is discussing saying Shema at night. Because the entire mode of Torah Shabbat Peh is hearing and hearing and listening is most potent and most powerful and most necessary in the dark. You can't see in the dark, but you could hear. And Torah Shabbat Peh is the process of putting the pieces together, creating clarity amidst chaos and confusion. And the third shift that occurred within the transition from Torah Shabbat Peh to Torah Shabbat Peh is embodied in a peculiar Gemara. The Gemara in Baba Basra, Dafyud Bezam and Aleph 12a, states that while Navua was taken from the Vim, it was not removed from Chachamim, the sages of the Talmud. And the Gemara then states that Chacham Adif Minavi, a sage is greater than a prophet. So what does this mean? How are we supposed to understand that? Because in terms of content and clarity, a Navi clearly sees far more than a Chacham. But the Navi receives this as a gift. He's only a receptacle receiving the word of Hashem. It's holy min Hashemayim. It's lacking any creativity in human input. It's like the first stage, which is the stage of inspiration, the gift, not something that you work for. But once the light of Nevuah went out, the Chacham, the Chachamim, they shine a light in that darkness. And by tapping into the inner consciousness of Torah, they're able to bring down Torah truth themselves in a unique and personal way, a unique and fundamentally different form of nevuah. This Torah stems from human effort and creativity, and it's a completely different kind of Torah. In a very deep way, it's a greater form of Torah. Because it's a Torah built through effort, through choice, and human input. And once the light faded, this is a Torah built in the darkness. However, once we accept this unique role and ability of the Chachamim, we must still ask, how do they possess this unique power? How can humanity create Torah? Where do we find such a precedent? Isn't Hashem the only one that can, so to speak, reveal and create Torah? What does this mean that Chazal and the Chachamim and that we can somehow connect ourselves to the creative process of Torah? And the answer lies in Sefer Dvarim. It lies in Moshe's Sefer. As the Maharal and Vilna Gon explain, Sefer Dvarim is an expression of the first four Svarim of the Torah. Moshe first became a pure vessel a pure vessel for Torah, only a receptacle. And the first four Svarim were written by Hashem, the giver, while Moshe served purely as a channel. And as Chazal put it, that Hashem spoke through the throat of Moshe, placing the words in his mouth. Dvarim, however, was Moshe's creation. He took everything that came before and expressed it through his unique lens. The Maharal and Orachayim describe this process as Moshe's transformation into a normal Navi who expresses Hashem's Nevuah through their unique and personal lens. Instead of Hashem himself speaking through Moshe's throat, Hashem spoke to Moshe and then at a later point, Moshe expressed it to Klai Yisrael in his own words. 
And as a result, Sefer Dvarim therefore has the style of Moshe, just like any Sefer written by a Navi has that unique Navi style. And the Malbim elaborates on this point and explains that once Moshe uttered his own words, Hashem then ratified them as being part of Torah. In other words, Hashem commanded Moshe to write Sefer Dvarim as a document of what Moshe himself had already said on his own accord. So of course this is part of the Torah because Hashem declared it as being part of the Torah, but the words are the words of Moshe as expressed through the, the, so to speak, the nevuah that Moshe received from Hashem. And this is the root of our ability to engage in Torah Shabbat Peh, to become part of the creative process of Torah. Because at root, Torah Shabbat Peh is the process of taking the seed of Torah Shabbat Sav and fully expressing it, developing it without losing any of its inner meaning. It's a beautiful and elegant balance of being completely loyal to the written Torah of the Torah itself, Torah Shabbat Sav, while still finding room for extreme creativity and innovation. And it's really the same thing when it comes to how we view Torah Shabbat We tap into all the Torah Shabbat that has come before us. We become a vessel. And then we become an expressive creative force of taking everything that we've received and taking it the next step. And of course, there are rules and limitations and very clear guidelines to this process. But it's always this beautiful balance of receiving, becoming a receptacle, negating our ego, and then being able to find ways of being creative and developing things even further and fully fleshing things out and expressing it. And only Jews who are in Aron or Mishkan for Torah, who have first connected themselves completely to the vast Mesorah of Torah, only they can contain the Shechina of Torah Shabbat Peh. In other words... Only people who have completely given themselves over to Torah, like the Gedolim in every generation, they can become the true holders of Torah Shabbat Peh and halachic reality as a whole. They can pask in halacha. They've connected themselves to that deep spiritual root. However, in a deep way, each and every one of us can tap into that Mesorah too and can become part of this magical process as well. When you immerse your mind in Torah, you come up with Chidushe Torah, novel insights and ideas. But the root of our ability to become partners in the creative process of Torah comes from Moshe Rabbeinu Sefer Dvarim. He connected himself to the first for Svarim of the Torah, embraced it, embodied it, and then expressed something unique from within himself. This was the first example of Torah Shabbat Pet in Jewish history. And we can now go back and explain Tosav's unique description of Sefer Dvarim in regards to 12 lines in the Gat. In some sense, Sefer Dvarim is more unique and distinct than all the other Svarim combined. It's the only one written by Moshe himself and should therefore be counted as a completely separate Sefer. And if that were the case, we could suggest that the reason the four lines between Sefer Bamidbar and Sefer Dvarim are not counted as a separation is because Sefer Dvarim holds its own status as a completely separate Sefer. And therefore, only the lines of separation in the first four Svarim of the Torah are considered significant regarding a get. Now, it's one option, but there's a deeper answer as well. The reason why Sefer Dvarim is not counted as a separate volume of the Chameshichum Torah 
is not because it's a completely separate Sefer, but the complete opposite. It's subsumed within the first four books. And this is based on the deep nature of the relationship between Torah Shabal Peh and Torah Shabbat Sav. Torah Shabal Peh is not a distinct entity from Torah Shabbat Sav. It's a genuine expression of it. All the details and elements of Torah Shabal Peh are revealed aspects of truth that are buried within Torah Shabbat Sav. And therefore, Torah Shabal Peh is one with Torah Shebek Sav. Dvarim isn't a new Sefer. It's an actualization and expression of everything that was already there in seed and root form within the first four Svarim of Torah. And therefore there is no separation or gap between Bamidbar and Dvarim because everything within Sefer Dvarim stems from the previous four books of Torah. And that's why we can't learn the four lines of separation between Bamidbar and Dvarim as being counted in the Get. So the Get is only 12 lines and not 16. And we learn from this our unique role in the world. When the light fades, when translucence turns opaque, we strive to shine a light in the darkness to reveal the truth of Torah in a post-prophetic age. As the Zohar states, only when the light goes out and the darkness reigns, can a candle serve as a source of illumination? Like Josh in our original story, only once it's dark at night can you truly see the power of your light. And when the world is incandescent with spiritual clarity, humanity serves as a loyal channel and receptor of truth. But when that light fades, we can become part of the creative process itself, not only shining the light, but creating it as well. May we be inspired to strive after Torah truth, to listen closely in a world of darkness, and to strive to gather the shards of multiplicity into a singular oneness of higher truth.